Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance his kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. Excited this weekend and next weekend. Uh, I just get super excited. Uh, if you're not excited about these next two weekends, are you even saved? Is what I would challenge you to. You know, it's like the Super Bowl when your when your favorite team goes to the Super Bowl, and not that they only go, but they also win. Okay, that's that's the whole focus of everything we do. It's the you know uh, the unfolding of God's awesome plan of redemption for His people, His His love to us, closing that gap that separated us. You know, by that chasm of sin. You know, and Jesus came and died on that cross and for us, so that we could be returned to the Father. And this morning, I'm just excited about what God is doing. And today we celebrate Palm Sunday. So Palm Sunday is the time where Jesus came in, you know, into Jerusalem for the last time and, you know, makes his triumph entry in. And we're going to look this morning a little bit about what it is. But there is a lot of things that happen from today leading into Good Friday, which is his death on the cross, to his resurrection, to Resurrection Sunday, which we will celebrate next weekend. So I hope that you come today and then you, you know, this just whets your appetite and you are excited about what God is going to do among us and through us and with us this next week. Now, my heart for Easter is that we would come to a place of where people would come to know Jesus. You know, I had a joke. I said, you know what we could do? We could put out all the eggs next week and leave them empty. And when all the kids pick them up and they're super excited and they say, there's nothing in the eggs. And we say, there was nothing in the tomb either. <laughs> We're not going to do that, but it'd be a great joke that they'd remember for a lifetime. They pick up all the eggs, no candy. No, we're going to fill them with candy. We're going to celebrate with our kiddos. And we're going to come celebrate the greatest day of really our Christian history where God finished the work through his son, Jesus. But we, got, we want to backtrack just a little bit because I feel like in order for us to really get the most out of Palm Sunday, leading into the testimony of what Jesus did on the cross, we need to reflect not just on Palm Sunday, but maybe even a little bit further back to see what led to Palm Sunday, to, to look at what is it that was such a big deal about Palm Sunday. How many of you have heard about Palm Sunday? How many of you have ever heard about Palm Monday? Let me tell you a story this morning about Palm Monday. It says, the donkey awakened. His mind was still savoring the afterglow of the most exciting day of his life. Never before had he felt such a rush of pleasure and pride. He walked into town and, and found a, a group of people by the well. I'll show myself to them, he said. But they didn't notice him. They continued to go on drawing their water and paid him no mind. Throw your garments down, he said crossly. Don't you know who I am? They just looked at him in amazement. Someone slapped him across the tail and ordered him to move. Miserable heathens, he, mu he muttered to himself. I'll just go to the market where the good people are. They'll remember me there. But the same thing happened. No one paid any attention to the donkey as he strutted down the main street in front of the marketplace. The palm branches, where are the palm branches, he shouted. Yesterday you threw palm branches, hurt and confused. The donkey, donkey went home to his mother and the mother responded. He said, foolish child. Don't you realize that without him, you are just an ordinary donkey? Yeah. And that's the same place we come to today. Without Jesus, it, we kind of, there's really no point. 
Jesus is the focus point of all of it. He's the focus point of the resurrection. He is the reason for which we testify and we proclaim the goodness of God through Jesus. Jesus is the biggest part of the story. So the reason the people shouted and celebrated was about him and him alone. Palm Sunday was about the saving King Jesus riding into Jerusalem to save his people. He was the center. He was the focus point of their praise and their celebration. Now think about this. How many of you have ever watched somebody play football without a football? How many of you know that would be a really complicated sport? You know, just kind of like, hey, go deep, Arnold. You got it? All right, run. Like, it kind of really does. Or how, you know, the, the, the high, varsity girls played soccer. You know, they're... Fourth round playoffs, if you're not jumping on that bandwagon, jump on the bandwagon, now's the time. But it would be like playing soccer without a soccer ball. How many of you know that'd be a hard game? Kick it, pass it over here. What are we doing? It would actually make no sense to play those sports without the ball, right? So the same thing when we talk about Palm Sunday, we talk about a resurrection. If we remove Jesus from the variable, it just doesn't make sense. But it makes complete sense when Jesus is the center and focus of it all. Amen? That's the whole point. That is the focus. So John eleven twenty five. 25, it says, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is speaking to Martha here. So in, in this next week, do you realize that the global church is going to be celebrating the goodness of God? It's not denominational. It's not non-denominational. It is the global church celebrating what we all agree on. And that's Jesus. If you have a church that is preaching anything besides Jesus as the way to heaven, you ain't getting in. Right? The Bible's very clear on that. It says, I am the gate, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Who is me implying? Jesus, right? So we know that we're going to, as the, as the global church, you know, the, the church around the world is going to celebrate Jesus, the resurrected king. Now, when we celebrate this victory and defeat over the enemy, we have to understand that Jesus won back all that was lost. But when he did this, John 10, 15, it says that he actually lays his life down for you and me. He lays his life down for his sheep. He also says in, in verse 18, no one can take it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. We have to understand that Jesus could have just went like this and all of those who oppressed him and were trying to crucify him would have had to move. But he willfully laid down his life for you and for me. He chose to do it. He wanted to do it. He found pleasure in redeeming us back to Father God. And this is the greatest love story ever told that he cared about us, that he loved us, even to the point of death. Now, Palm Sunday, we celebrate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, this was the last time that Jesus would come into Jerusalem because his time of death and crucifixion was coming to an end. And it actually says in Luke 19, 41, as he approached Jerusalem, he wept over the city. Now, I know sometimes we think this big distant God that doesn't care and is not emotional and doesn't feel like we feel and understand like we understand. Do you realize that God sending Jesus, that the king of heaven and earth took on humanity? You talk about rejection. <laughs> Jesus felt rejection, right? What it meant to suffer loss, what it meant to suffer, what it meant to actually die. Any of you uh, experienced dying yet? You're still here. God, come on. What is, uh, you're all right. None of us has experienced that, 
But yet Jesus has experienced all of these things so that he could relate, so that he could understand. But as he wept over the city, he's an emotional God. He's stirred with emotion. He cares about us, cares about you. So as the crowds gathered at the city gates on Palm Sunday, uh, as I was preparing this week, God said, hey, why did they celebrate? And I was like, I don't know. You tell me. You're the, you're the master uh, craftsman of, of how it happened. And as I begin to look at Palm Sunday, we have to go back a little further, roughly two weeks back, because in the passage, it actually says there was two reasons that the people were there on Palm Sunday. Do you know what those two reasons were? I didn't know this till last week and God showed me in the word. There were two reasons. They knew that Jesus was there, but they also wanted to see Lazarus, who according to scholars roughly two weeks prior was raised from the dead after being in the tomb for four days. So there was, there was an enticement to come and see Jesus, but there was also an enticement and an excitement to come and see Lazarus. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to look at the story of Lazarus, which is leading up to the gospel and leading up to Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. And if we will understand the story of Lazarus, it will stir all kinds of excitement and anticipation for even this next week. Okay, so let's look at this passage in John 12, 9 through 11. Verse 9, it says, Meanwhile, a large cl- a crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, who he had raised from the dead. Verse 10, So the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as, as well. How many of you know everybody that raises from the dead or does something great for God? The strategy, let's just kill them. Right, well, we know when they killed Jesus, that was not the end, that that was all part of this creative plan. But... Anytime they can't prove it, let's just kill the guy, right? That probably wouldn't have worked. He already got raised from the dead once. Jesus would just do it again. But it says, let's kill Lazarus also. Verse 11, for an account of many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and they were believing in him. Because of Lazarus' powerful testimony, many were coming to Jesus and they were, uh, they were causing all kinds of stirring up. So verse 12, the next day, the great crowd had come for the festival. So this is the Passover, Passover feast. And they heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and they went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed blessed is the king of Israel. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They They waved their palm branches. They took off their coats and they laid them down as Jesus entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey in a form of humility. And he came as a conquering king, but not in the way that everyone thought. Right? You know, it's like, where's the sword? We're ready to go to war. We're going to redeem everything. He was going to redeem everything. It just didn't look like what people thought it was going to look like, which we know the back, we know the front side of that story. So for us, it's a little bit different. But he came in in a humble manner. Right? Verse 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because of what they had heard and, and, and the, the, the signs that he performed, they went out to meet him. Verse 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So it didn't matter what the world tried to do in, the, in trying to hide the gospel or change the story. God was writing this awesome story of redemption. And it started in the life of Lazarus. So we're going to look at the story of Lazarus this morning, uh, John 11. And 
1, really through 44. I'm just going to tell you the story. I'm going to paraphrase. I'm going to piece it together just so you don't have to read the whole thing. If you want to look at it its entirety, you can check it out later. But the story of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus, you know, he was sick, and he, there was Mary and Martha. So we know that Mary is the one that broke the alabaster flask and, and anointed Jesus' feet. Well, Lazarus was the brother. The scripture also tells us that Lazarus, you know, and, and that he, this was one that, they, that he loved. He had relationship with them. So when Jesus heard, um, this is what his response when he heard that Lazarus was sick and he was dying. Verse 4, four it says, the, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha, her, sis, uh, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed there two more days in the place where he was. Now, that completely caught me off guard. So what happens when you know somebody's really, really sick and about to die? Do you linger two more days? <laughs> See you. I got to go. There's an emergency. I'm going to lose, lose a loved one. I want to get there quickly. Well, we know in that same verse, in that same passage, he says, hey, this will not end in death. But this will be a glorification of the Father through a miracle that he won't die, but that he will live. So he waited two more days. And I don't know if he wanted to make sure that Lazarus was dead, dead. Like, you know, dead's good enough, but dead, dead, right? Two more days. And then we see this story, you know, and he, t he talks to his disciples, said, hey, Lazarus has fallen asleep. We're going to go visit. And they're like, oh, well, if he's sleeping, that's good. He'll get better. A lot of times we, we are just like the disciples. We have a hard time understanding. So Jesus plainly has to say, hey, no, Lazarus has died. He's not okay. He's not sleeping. Let us go check on him. So then they go and um, when, they, when they find Lazarus, he has been in the tomb for four days. Say that. Say four days. That's one more day longer than Jesus. Four days in the tomb. All right. So when we look at that story, we know he was dead, dead. Say dead, dead. Not just a little dead, 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 right? So when they arrived, um, now Martha said to Jesus, and hear these words, because I think we say this a lot. She responded and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. How many times in our life have we felt like that? God, if you would have heard me, God, if you would have moved, Lord, if I would have known, none of this would have happened. Where were you, God? And when we look at this story, God was all wrapped up in the details, he cared for Lazarus. He cared for the sisters. And he also had told them, this is going to end in a good thing, not a bad thing. But how many of you know when we're going through stuff and we're going through a hard time, sometimes it doesn't feel like that. It feels like God is a million miles away. And, he, and so, so this, this emotion that comes out, if you had been there. And then he responds, your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And she responds, well, I know that he'll, he'll come back in the resurrection of the dead. But that's not what he was talking about. He said, you are going to see him here and now he will be resurrected. Because, right, we're always thinking long term or surely that's not what God meant. But that you would see him in this lifetime. Your brother will rise again. Verse 25, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she responds, yes, I believe. And then Mary shows up and says, Lord, if you had been here. All these ladies are all messed up. They're all frustrated. They're all irritated. They knew the power of God. They've seen the power of God. They've seen the miracle working hand of Jesus. So again, she pleads, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would have never died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews that come also they saw their crying. He was deeply moved in his spirit and he was troubled. Asked the question, where have you put him? And in verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. 
Now, that really gets my attention because Jesus cares so much about you and I. He hurts when we hurt. He rejoices when we rejoice. He is a God that feels and that is close and he is near. Verse 36, there's some doubters in the crowd that say, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? So we know that we'll always have those who are full of faith and those who are faithless, those who, you know, um, kind of say, God, where were you? And see, yeah, he wasn't there. But this is what I really, really want us to look at this morning. These next few passages, verses 38 through 43. We want to see what Jesus did when he approached the tomb. So then Jesus deeply moved again, filled with compassion, filled with that emotion. He came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And, he was, and Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me. And because the crowd standing here, I, I say this so that they may, know, they may believe that you sent me. And after he said this, he shouted in a loud voice and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Verse 44, the dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Now, this is a powerful change in the situation. This is where everybody begins to marvel and say, what is happening? What's going on? But I want us to play, pay close attention to what Jesus did to release resurrection life in the life of Lazarus. Because I believe in the same way that Lazarus was raised from the dead and dead things have been brought to life, that God wants to do that in a measure in areas of your life today. There are things that he wants to breathe on, things that he wants to change. But sometimes the old things have to die so that new things can come to life. I can tell you, I'm sure Lazarus loved Jesus, but I tell you what, there was a different depth of love when he came to life again. There was a whole new appreciation. All of a sudden, the hard, cruel world out there that's really complicated and difficult, and Lord, the world's so hard, I don't think he cared that much anymore. He said, I was in a place that wasn't like this place, and I'll be happy at all times. Now, I think sometimes we, we take it for granted, the breath in our lungs, the life that we get to live. It's still a gift from God. But let your perspective change today. Maybe you're at that place where, Lord, if you had been there, if you would have known, if you would have seen me, if you would have known where I was going to be when I was a child and you would have prevented that from happening, I wouldn't be dealing with the things that I'm dealing with today. And I believe God shows up in a situation because you have no understanding of how he is going to change something that left you broken and wounded and put it back together and release healing in your life. It's not that we've never been broke or hurt or damaged, but the, test, the real testimony isn't just the battle scars, it's surviving and thriving and living on the other side of going through those hard things. So let's look at these, we're going to look at six things this morning that, that uh, Jesus did to release resurrection life. And we're going to look at these, those passages from 38 through 44. And the first thing that Jesus does to produce that resurrection life, the first thing he does is he comes close to us. He just draws near. It's nothing good to look at a dead man in rags wrapped up doing absolutely nothing. 
Do you understand there was nothing that Lazarus could do to save himself? Right? You know, the passage of Scripture in Colossians 2.13, it actually says, You were dead in your sins. Apart from Jesus being added into the equation, there's nothing you can do to save yourself. You're just Lazarus up. What that means is you're like this. You might could wiggle a little bit, but you're Lazarus up. You're just laying there. You're dead in the tomb. There's nothing that you can do to release resurrected life on your own. But there's something that changes when God's presence, when Jesus comes close to us, when he gets near to us, things begin to change. All of a sudden, there's hope in amongst the hopeless. There's something, you don't even know what's going on, because guess what? You're still Lazarus up. Your eyes are closed. Your arms are bound. Your feet are tied. But you can hear something going on, and you say, I don't know what's happening. There's some shaking. There's some moving. There's some things going on. God must be just up to something good. But at that point, you still don't know what's going on. You're just dead as a doornail, wallowing in your sin with nothing to contribute to God. Nothing. Think about it. What did you do that was so good that would make God's grace and love redeem you? Now you might say, well, I got saved in that. No, I'm talking about before you got saved. Living life of hell. Choosing all kinds of worldly things that didn't honor God. We were all deserving of death. We were buried in that tomb, deserving what we got. But there's nothing we could do to save ourselves. Isaiah 64, 6, it says, All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Think about that just for a minute. Even on my good days, it still matches up to filthy rags. What happens to filthy rags? What do we do with those? Throw them away. They're good for nothing. That was the life that we had. That was the life that we lived. That's the position of posture that we came from when Jesus came close to us. And when he comes close, he begins to change things. But Jesus is all about bringing the dead things to life. But the dead man could do nothing to change his situation. Lazarus was dead, but Jesus showed up to change that. So it doesn't matter how bad things are. God will turn our ashes into beauty. He will redeem what we have and what we're doing. He can actually cause our dry, dead bones to come to life. So the first thing he does, he comes close. Secondly, what does he do? He communicates to our situation. So he helps where we're helpless. God speaks over our situation on our behalf and he causes things to change. What did he say? He said, remove that stone. So we have to understand when God speaks, we may be praying and we may be crying out to God for a lifetime. The moment God says, move the stone, all of a sudden something begins to change. Now we have to understand that Jesus wants to do our heavy lifting. He wants to help us with the things that we are helpless to do on our own. We can't do it. How many of you, when you've getting, got woke up in the morning, somebody comes on and flips the lights on on you and you kind of cringe and the light's bright? I tell you what, Lazarus, when he saw that light gleaming in from the outside and that the, 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 it was being rolled away, he said, oh man, something's happened. Something's changing. You know, can you imagine that? The dead being raised to life. But he communicates to that situation. God communicates to those things that we're powerless, powerless to do. You know, it's like digging out a root with a shovel. You ever tried to do that? It's hard work, man. You're trying to get, I'm not talking, you can't go get the, don't go get the chainsaw. 
Don't go get the tools. I'm talking with a shovel, trying to get those roots. You're hitting it with the wrong. You know, it, a lot of times it's like us trying to remove that root. And then Jesus just shows up with a tractor and he accomplishes in a few minutes what will take us a lifetime to accomplish. Because that's the kind of God we serve. When he communicates to the situation, everything begins to change and it happens rather quickly. Jesus didn't linger. It's not like he sat there for a long time. Let's, let's draw this out like a three-hour movie. I bet all of this happened rather quickly. As fast as the stone could get removed, he speaks to Lazarus. He stands up as fast as they can get the grave clothes off of him. He is brought to life and released to be free in all that God has called him to be. Once God begins to move, it doesn't take long for him to accomplish a lot in your life. I think sometimes we see this in our life. How many of you, when you came to knowledge of Jesus, a lot of things changed rather quickly? Right? Now, there may still be some grave clothes wrapped over your shoulder, and you got to get rid of those things. But normally, when Jesus shows up on the scene, our life begins to change radically quick. Things begin to change. Things begin to fall out. But when God speaks to something, that's the breaking point. We could have been shouting from the tomb. Roll the stone away, roll the stone away. But till Jesus says it, sometimes the stone doesn't budge. But when God speaks to the stone, the stone is moved. Okay, so he commands those things, he speaks those things. So he comes close to us, he communicates to our situation. Number three, what does he do? He confronts the stench. All right. So Jesus was not nearly as concerned about the stench as Mary was. Don't you know that he's been in the tomb four days and he's beginning to stink a little? Let me tell you what, before Jesus, probably most of us stunk a little bit. There was the fragrance of the world. There was things and, you know, uh, man, you know what I'm talking about. Somebody that you don't smell good. You're like, ooh, know what I'm getting you for Christmas, right? You can go, you can go, go all the way out there. Uh, but, but I think there's times that we just smell like the things of the world. And God wants to deal with the stench. He just doesn't want to entertain the stench. Let me tell you a story one time. So my wife and I went on a trip for a few days. And we had, had someone at our house wa- watching our kids while we were gone. Before I left, we had been fighting this mouse, rat, didn't know what it was. Okay? So how many of you know the, the, the rat bait that you can buy? The little cubes? Before I leave... Man, I grab a handful of those things. I just go like this and throw it as far as I can under my house because I hear them underneath and all of those things. So we go on on this trip for three or four days and we come back. You'll see where I'm going with this story. I come back. I walk in the house and I'm like, man, which we had somebody watching our kids. And so the first thing I'm like, I guess I'll take the trash out. They didn't take the trash out. I didn't know what was going on. We didn't say anything because we didn't want to embarrass the young person. And we're just like, well, like whatever. So it took me about an hour, and I had that revelation that I had just thrown rat bait before I left. Now, what began to happen in that home is the stench began to rise. It began to smell. Now, there's two options when a stench arises. What some of us do with the stench in our life, we spray a, as much Febreze as Walmart has to offer. To cover all of the smell in hopes that the smell will go away. But God is more concerned about removing the the point of the stench rather than just covering it up. So what happened in my wisdom of knowing what I did, there was a spot where I thought that they were getting in. And, you know, I was like, well, maybe they're right here. Oh, buddy, when I went to the source, oh, you thought it stunk in that house. At the source, stunk even worse. But let me tell you what God does. 
When he removes the source, the smell cleans up rather quickly. So all it took was going to the place of the stench, grabbing that filthy, ugly, hey, that's how your sin looks. Think about that just for a minute. I know some of y'all are cringing to your butt like, next story, please. But that's what our sin is like. It smells. There's nothing we can do about it. That's just who we are. And what God wants to do, he wants to come into that stench and take that thing and throw it in the garbage far from your house where, where, where it belongs. But so many of us, spray more spray, we'll be okay. God never tolerates the stench. He will address the stench and he will get rid of it. Now we got rid of that rat and it smelled, it smelled a lot better. We called, the, we called the person there and said, hey, let me tell you what happened. And she was like, I smelled some too, but I didn't know what it was. Because I didn't tell her what I did before I left. But that's how God works. He wants to confront the stench. He wants to go to the source. He wants to pay attention. God is not a God that covers up the smell, but he wants to help you remove it. He wants to deal with those things. You know, Jesus didn't show us, oh, well, it stinks in there. I guess I'm not going to go in there and deal with that. Right? He is the one that's going to deal with it. He's going to focus on it. He's going to go head in. But his goal is to remove it far from your life. To remove that thing. All right? I think another thing that God does, you know, I think he does take the trash out often. Uh, how many of you have ever left some stuff in the trash <laughs> so long it starts, if you look at it, it's like, man, that ain't what it used to be. It starts microorganisms and all kinds of stuff starts growing from it. It's like, ooh, right? You ever clean out the fridge every now and then? Like you're creating a science experiment in your fridge, right? But those things, I think what God does, man, before they start getting bad, before they start stinking, I think he purges and he cleanses and he purifies. And then once God does all that work, he wants to keep you clean. Right? That's the, that's the God we serve. He wants to work in our lives. He wants to change those things in our lives. Jesus didn't come just to cover us up, but he came to give us a whole, a whole new heart, a whole new life. That's the kind of God we serve. All right? So he comes close, he communicates to us, he confronts the stench, then he confirms what he says. So all through this passage, he remind the sisters what he had spoken. And I think so many times we're guilty of forgetting what God has promised. Well, Lord, this is what you said. I may not be feeling it, but this is what your word said. Or maybe God has given you a specific word for you and hold to that word. If he says it will live and you won't die and you're going to make it and it's going to be all right, trust God's word. Because, Lord, I'm feeling like I'm going to die right now. You know, you feel like that. But if God says you're going to be okay, son, you're going to be okay, daughter. I'm working something out that you have nothing, that you don't know anything about it. Just hold on just a little longer. Endure just a little bit longer. Because I think sometimes we don't like the place we're in. I'm sure Lazarus' tomb wasn't a very comfortable place. Anybody got it that bad? Not last I checked, right? But those places can be very uncomfortable. But the moment God shows up, the moment he begins to roll that stone back, the moment he begins to confront and deal with the issues, and then he begins to confirm what he has said. He said in John eleven four, 4, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. And then in John eleven forty 40, he says, Martha, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? He will live and not die. Hold to what God has said he will do. And he will do what he says he will do. I trust God at his word. Like, last I checked, we get in by faith. We sustain by faith. 
Lord, I keep trusting you. I trust you to work out all this ugly stuff in my life to start with. And Lord, I continue to trust me to make me endure till the end. And he will be faithful to do that. So he confirms what he says. And then number five, he commands the situation to change. And this is when the breakthrough happens. When God begins to speak to our situation and he turns the the darkness into light. He, He causes the dead to come alive. He works in all of these things. This is where God begins to change the atmosphere. And in this passage, what does he do? It says that he prays first and then he, and then he speaks boldly. Now, I always think it's super funny because as he, as he uh, orchestrates this prayer, he says, Lord, I'm praying so that all these guys around me will know that you're God, that they will know that I'm Jesus. And just so they know that I'm reporting to you and I'm doing this by your, you know, this is kind of what he's saying. He's like, I'm praying because you should pray first before you do something super awesome for God. Because if God don't show up and God don't come through, guess what? You're going to look real foolish at the end. Lazarus, come forth and he don't move. Right? But you have to understand that just like he got authority from Father God, we get authority from Father God. Our dependent on God is just like Jesus is dependent on God. And as he asks Father God by the power of the Holy Spirit, as he speaks forth, it changes the situation. So he could do nothing without the power of God flowing through him and the power of the Holy Spirit. So then he speaks in a loud voice. Now, how many of you, uh, and I've heard people say all kinds of, well, Pastor, I don't know why I got to pray real loud. Or I don't know why I got to get loud sometimes. Sometimes, man, when when you're speaking life into death or dark places, you got to get loud a little bit. We got any loud moms in the room? Don't lie. Got some loud moms. You're like, sometimes, pastor, right? We got, you know, get loud, get excited, get passionate about it. But he shouts in a loud voice. He says, Lazarus, come out. So when he speaks to a situation, the things that are dead will come to life. So this is what God wants to do in your situation today. Ezekiel 37, five through six. Listen to this. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. Now he was commanding and he was prophetically speaking to dead, dry bones. These are bones. This isn't even like body. In four days, there was still skin and organs and it didn't decompose. This is what he's talking about in regards to just bones, dry bones. It says, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So God can even cause dead, dry bones to come to life. Now, last I checked, none of us are that far gone. You all right? We're not that far gone that God can still work. We have to hold on. We have to trust what he's doing. So he confirms what he says. He commands the situation to change. He says, hey, Lazarus, come out. So the sixth thing that he does, and this is one of the most powerful things that he does, he begins to cleanse and heal the broken parts of us. So Lazarus, he stands up, but this dead man comes out and he is bound hand and foot with linen strips and his face is still wrapped in cloth. (laughs) He's still Lazarus up. He's like this, I'm up, Lord but I can't get myself untangled. I can't get myself unwrapped. Now understand that his hands were bound. His feet were bound. I mean, I guess he stood up because he at least, they could tell he woke up. And then he had wrap around his face, but he could not feel, he could not touch, couldn't move forward, couldn't move backwards. You ever felt like that? Paralyzed by your brokenness or the things in your life that you just, man, you, 
I don't want to try. I don't want to move. And, and, and just, just because God says, come to life, you may not, there still may be things in your life that God wants to heal and he wants to change. He couldn't see where he was going. You ever been there? You're trying to serve the Lord and follow God. And you don't know what you're doing, where you're going. I feel like you're riding a merry-go-round with blindfold on. Which way are we going, Lord? So he wants to heal. He wants to begin to release you to be all that he's called you to. So being free happens by the power of God being released in our lives. What did he say? He said, unwrap him. So what happens in life, God begins to remove these things that bind our hands and our feet and cover our eyes. But understand, this is something that God commanded. But how many of you know that people had to help get those linens off? A lot of times God sets us free, but people help us get free free. Right? Man, help me get that off. You know, help me get my cut my feet. You know, if I duct taped you all the way up to your hips and we just watched you get loose, it'd be a lot easier if I helped you get loose. You know, I remember, <laughs> sorry, side story in its second service. So you'll get the story. They didn't get it first service. I remember at youth camp, we, uh, we had a buddy that was, yeah, he was driving us nuts and he wouldn't be quiet. So five of us guys jumped on him. He was in his sleeping bag and uh, we, had a, we had a roll of duct tape. We duct taped that sucker all the way to his neck. He was Lazarus up. He said, yo, you talking now? And he got so mad. Hey, we fall asleep. We wake up the next morning. He's in his bed. And we're like, dude, how'd you get out? He said, brother, it took a while, but I gnawed myself out. <laughs> right? It's so much easier to get help. You can sit there and fight. And I, don't, I was visualizing, man, I wish I would have filmed it or saw it or whatever. I'm serious. Like, because completely hemmed up. Guys, sometimes we're like that. We're free and we're alive, but we're bound by all kinds of stuff. And God, when he says, be free, stand up, un, un, you know, unwrap him. God wants you free. He wants you to take those bondages off of you. He wants you to be free, all that he's called you to. So we, sometimes God does that, but sometimes we need people in our lives. So then the second thing that he says is let him go. What do you mean let him go? Like what, what's that supposed to mean? A lot of times in our life, the, the jail cell of our life has been swung wide open. But we are so comfortable being in chains and shackled and, uh, and isolated by that jail cell. Even though the door's open, guess what? We don't move. But when we realize what we have been set free from and we're free to go, that completely changes everything. That's why we can get to the place of where when we gather back next week and we are excited about what God has freed us from, that, hey, I was blind and I couldn't see, but now I see. I was shackled and bound, but the blood of Jesus has set that free. And he actually took all of that off and he said, go free. Why are you still in the jail cell? That was never his intended purpose. Can you imagine if Lazarus was like, thank you, Jesus. I'll see y'all later. Have a good dinner. I'm going to stay in the tomb. He was ready to get out of there. Many of us stay at that place where we found resurrection life. But in Lazarus being all that God had called him to be, he had to leave that place that identified him as dead. A little bit later, you see Jesus reclining at the table having fellowship, preparing for the Passover. You know who was at that table? Lazarus was. Now, I think there was many disciples and many people, and maybe there's things that you know personally that has really strengthened your relationship with God. I'll tell you what, if I was dead in a tomb 
and Jesus shows up and he brings me back to life. And now I get to live out the last little, I mean, really he had like another week with Jesus because he was going to be crucified and buried. And you know, that would have been the sweetest moment of my life. I said, man, let me tell you what happened. He came close to me. Then he spoke to my situation. Then he confronted the stench. And then he looked at me and he confirmed what he had spoken, that you will live and you will not die. And then he commands the situation to change. And all of a sudden I'm standing up and I don't even know how I'm standing. And all of a sudden the rags and all of these things that define me as death and buried and deserving of death are removed from my life. And then he says, be free, walk, go and sin no more. This is what Jesus does in the life of Lazarus. Many came from near and far to not just see Jesus, but to see Lazarus. Believe that God wants to do the same thing in some of your lives this morning. That he wants us to have life, that he wants us to thrive. And this is what Jesus is capable of. I think we can thank God for some of the things that he's already done in our life, right? How many of you this morning, if you were really, really honest with yourself, you can identify something in your life right now that you say, Lord, I need resurrection life in this area. And you just have to surrender Lazarus up to sit there and do nothing and invite him to come in and have his way in that area of your life. You need to say with your heart, Lord, I want to be alive. I want to be well. Because that's what God wants for you this morning also. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Maybe this morning you have been carrying way too much junk. And just because you carried it in here with you does not mean you have to carry it out with you. So this is where we're going to end this morning. I believe that if if you have something in your heart, go ahead and stand up with me. I'm going to wrap through this last part really quickly. This morning, if you say, Pastor, there is something that I just want God to do in my life. Man, I came and I was expecting the big service to be next week. Today's a big service too because God's in the room and his spirit's already working in you. But for you to be able to celebrate like everybody did, you may need to have a Lazarus moment today where you just need to say, Lord, here I am. I have nothing to offer, nothing to contribute. If anything, I have screwed it all up. So what I want to do this morning, I just want to open the altar. If you say, man, pastor, I want God to touch me. And now you can say, well, can he do it from my seat? Yeah, he can. But there's something about moving in faith, about trusting God. I'm not going to call our ministry teams up. I'm not going to call our leaders up. All I want is for you to respond. And if that's something you're wanting God to do in your heart and in your life today, just come quickly to the altar right now. If you don't know what the altar is, that's this front section. Might be using a church where you're like, what in the world is the altar? There ain't no titles on nothing. Just come to the front. Get close to God and let God get close to your situation. Because when he gets close to your situation, the situation begins to change. He's beginning to roll that tomb, that rock back. And there's a little bit of glimmer of hope. And trust that, man, he's here. And what is he doing? Man, all I have to offer is very little. 
but yet God sees greatness inside. He says, I am gentle and I am humble. I am kind and I am loving and I am full of compassion. And as I weeped over Lazarus, I weep over you. I've seen your brokenness. I've seen your hurt. I've seen your pain. But I have come that all of that would be taken away. So take my yoke. Take my love. Take my forgiveness. Forgive yourself this morning. It's no longer about what you can do or what you can't do. It's never been about you. Just like the donkey. Without Jesus, it doesn't really matter. But this morning, let him just do the work that he alone can do. Two more passages that the Lord really put on my heart for this morning. Psalms 28, 7. It says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. And he helps me. Think about that just for a moment. The Lord is your strength. And he is your shield. Allow your heart to trust in him. Allow him to help you. And then that passage continues. It says, my heart begins to leap for joy. And with my song, I praise him. And then Nehemiah 8.10, it says, This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve. For the joy of the Lord shall be your strength. It says, sorrow and pain may last for the night. But it's his joy that comes with the morning. He doesn't want to leave you broken and wounded and hurting but he wants to begin to heal and restore. So everybody that came up, can you just lift your hands towards heaven? I'm going to believe Holy Spirit just to release everything that he has for you this morning. Lord, I thank you for your goodness in this place. Father, that you are so worthy to be praised. But Father, I pray that today that you would come to to, to our tomb. Father, that you would come near, that you would open, that you would roll it back and that you would change us. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who redeems and saves and brings the dead things to life. So, Father, I thank you that there's a lot of areas that the dead man needs to die and stay in that tomb. And, Father, that the new man would resurrect under resurrection life and that we would be all that you've called us to be. Lord, this is why we celebrate. Father, and because Lazarus was raised, and Father, we know the other side of the story, because you were raised to life, you can also raise us to life. So can you begin to just thank the Lord? Say, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. I don't know what you're doing, Lord, but I thank you for what you're doing. I trust you, and I hope in you. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing all around this room today. Father, I pray that this next week and throughout this week, Father, that we would reflect on the price that you paid for our lives. Father, I pray that you would stir a zeal and an excitement and a passion for you inside our hearts that cannot be contained. Lord, I pray we'd mess up our employers and our, our, our co-workers. They, we show up and they say, Lord, what in the world happened? So I don't know, but I was dead. 
And the Lord really shook some things to life in me this weekend. And then I want you to be bold and courageous and invite them next week. Because the same God that brought you to life this weekend is going to continue to be a life breather in the lives of others. And as we come back, that we celebrate a resurrected king. Let me pray for you and we'll get out of here. Lord, I thank you for each one under the sound of my voice for all of the things that you're doing in and through us. Lord, I thank you for the joy and the strength that we have in you. Father, that our story is far from over, but it is unfolding. And Lord, I pray that it'd be full of your glory, full of your goodness. God, that we'd see all that you're doing. And Father, we count it an honor and a privilege to begin, begin to per, be able to participate in your kingdom work. Father, as we go from this place, I pray that we would be changed. And Father, we don't let loose of you till you change us. Bless each one. Help them to have an awesome week full of your presence. And Father, as we come back next week, let us celebrate the greatest story ever told of how you redeemed the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.